they can find us at Facebook. We are Facebook. We are Facebook. Yeah, just go to Facebook.com. You'll find us. (laughs) (laughs) On Facebook. You are Facebook the whole day. That's right. I am Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Well, then we have some talking to do, buddy. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Good morning. Yeah, you know, I don't even know why I bother introducing you every time because really, we're we're at your place. So it really, if you're not here, <laughs> something's going on. We're not. I don't know. No about show. <laughs> so everything is yours. So. Uh, um, no Steve Barkley today. He's out, but we do have a special guest. Ryan, will you do the honors? Joining us from the Blind Inspiration cast, the one, the only, Colleen Connor. Hello. So glad you could join us again on such short notice. Drop everything for AT Banter. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And now... <laughs> Well, you did say it's you going had... to be a really important and significant topic, you guys. I know it's going to be crazy. This is going to change the world. We hope so. Changing the world. Okay, one now the pressure's on. Day. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, you put way too much pressure. One, now we're just one weird fold, group like... of blind people at a time. That's, That's right. <laughs> no, listen. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on. What's going on with you? What's new? What's what's been uh, what's been happening? Um, well, for me, recently, I've been um, still uh, working with my audio description business, yep. um, audio description training retreats, and um, I'm also uh, recently got elected to the subject matter expert committee um, in the U.S. for establishing a certification for audio description. So I'm working with a group of individuals um and kind of representing the blind community as far as um, you know creating a standard of uh, a test, basically a certification that people can get uh, in order to be professional audio describers um, so that we can begin to have some sort of quality control um, along with that certification after the describer certification. Um, I'm also passionate about creating a consultant um, certification as well so that um, there's a certification that users of audio description can take and and kind of be editing and quality control for audio description. Um, So it's going to be a long process. Um, We started a couple months ago and uh, basically we have a call every week and we're creating um, from the bottom up, uh, a, a certification that's going to cover the aspects of audio description. So it's a lot of work. Uh, of course you don't get paid for things like that because, you know, 
life, <laughs> but I think it's historically significant and, um, you know, just significant um, worlds, world around. We have um, people from all different countries who are interested in, in what we're doing. So, um, yeah, well, so th- that's kind of been taking up a lot of my time. Um, well, I think that and then you- I'm also still working on my web accessibility certification. So I'm trying to get more tech savvy. You know, it's, it's interesting. Audio description, and I'd, I'd love to get your perspective, you know, being, being down in the States, um, you know, we're going through an, an interesting time right now. Um, and I don't know what it's like down there, but do you find audio description is really starting to, to, to get some traction? Um, are, are more and more networks and stuff really jumping on board? Are you, are you seeing a, a lot of, a lot of activity there? Um, we are. Um, I would say there's a big uptick in audio description, um, simply based on the fact that there's been some more press about it. Um, Also, uh, a few people, at least I know in the States, have won lawsuits. Um, You know, uh, Netflix is, you know, committed to having 100% of their um, content that they produce um, have description. And recently, Amazon Prime has um, put forth that some of their stuff is going to have audio description. Hulu is jumping on board. So I think some of the streaming services and um, just some of the press there has gotten people interested in it. But also the um, the FCC, which is in this country, the Federal Communications Commission, they've recently gotten the um, it's kind of the law is kind of kicked in for them to have the ability to reinforce yep. um, networks and the the you know, top, I think it's like some like the top five um, most uh, popular channels or whatever saying, no, you, you have to have description. Um, right. And with the government, it's the same thing, websites, things like that. Like if you're producing content, you have to have description, you have to have captions. And so I think, um, I think it's starting to, you know, pick up and go somewhere. People are starting to hear about it. And um, so it's definitely, um, you know, uh, there are still people that I meet, you know, every day who have no clue what I'm talking about. But there are a lot of people who will say, oh, I, uh, yeah, that was a setting I saw. Or like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've heard something once that had a bunch of weird description in it. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's such an important thing to to get moving on because, you know, you think about your closed captioning, um and the difference that that makes, and that's ubiquitous now. I mean, it's, that's everywhere. Um, so, and I think that that's, that's the goal. I mean, we need to get audio description to that point too, because just like closed captioning, I mean, it has a, you know, mainstream potential. It's going to benefit everybody. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's totally blind, like myself, can't enjoy the same programs as my sighted wife unless there's audio description. Right. So, yeah, exactly. It makes a huge, a huge difference when, when it comes to consuming media, not to mention, you know, there's, there's all this, this potential for, for a whole other entertainment industry in terms of voiceover work and Mm. there's jobs that can be created there. So I, you know, I think that it, that 
it, you know, it, it is a really important aspect. So I think you guys are, are doing really, really important work. And I think that it's going to benefit you guys in, in the long run because once it does um, gain a lot of traction, the demand for uh, organizations like, like your, your training courses are, are going to be really in high demand. You know, we just got to get yeah. to that point. But, you know, and it's interesting. We're already seeing like an uptick in, in our, you know, people are very interested in coming to, we're actually having to put people on wait lists at this point for really? our classes. Yeah. And it's, um, so yeah. Well, and you know, I think that what happens down there is really going to influence us here in Canada as well. Yeah, and I and I think what's interesting too is that you have, um, the, you know, the for about ten years here, um, there were there were three different times a bill was put forward to give the FCC the authority to be able to request audio description, and it was shot down. And then again, someone was like. I know that the networks and Hollywood like appealed this, but you really should be providing audio description and it was shot down. And then finally in 2010, when Obama signed the 21st century communications act, that was like, no, the FCC has the authority to say that, you know, I think it's something like 4% of the top agencies, um, have to have to audio describe five hours a quarter of the most watched shows. And when you think of something like that, you're talking like five hours per quarter. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not a week. Mm-hmm. That's not a, you know, and, and they, you know, they say over the next 10 years, it can increase over time. And you're like, really? Like, that's not, yeah. That's not even that much. And people are still fighting about it. Like it's, you know, it's post-production. It's too fast. We can't do audio description. Blind people don't watch TV. Like yeah. it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I think and also I've discovered recently something very strange um, that I did not know is, for instance, the show Game of Thrones is right. audio described in England. Really? So the show has audio description. And I was like, oh, how do I get Game of Thrones audio described? Well, but the problem is Britain has their track and they're not sharing the track. Uh, yeah, it all comes so, down to licensing and what you're buying. Like, you know, Amazon Prime in the U.S., Prime Video, some programs, a lot of programs have audio description. Amazon Prime Video here in Canada the same program, I don't have audio description. So is, right. it, is it what Amazon is distributing region-specific that is going to you know determine the license and what you get with that license, right? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Huh. Which I think is silly because it's English. It's the English language. Like between Canada, the U.K., and the States, it, it, like if it's been done – why do we need a Canadian track, yeah. an American track, and a British track? Yeah, like, be, I, I it, can understand if, if the terms were so wildly different that, you know, you somebody wouldn't understand the context of it. But it's it's we hear British describers all the time. Yeah. Like, it's not, you it, know, so the streaming content stuff is starting to be very strange because it's like, who owns what? 
and no, you can't use my track. And it's like, really? <laughs> they need to follow what the Marrakesh Treaty has done and, and open the borders up. If a book's been audio described in Brazil, that book is now part of, you know, Bookshare. Part, they've joined the, Ameri- the Marrakesh Treaty. That book's now available to anybody around the world. Same with media consumption. It shouldn't be any different. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, the audio describing, the audio description is 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 much more involved and expensive to produce than say closed captioning. I think that's why right. content content creators why there's there's this pushback. But why is it region specific? But no no, you but know? that's my yeah, yeah, but exactly. I I mean, so that's why it's important to open it up, mm-hmm. to share the tracks because you know, we're already seeing um we're seeing them bulk at at the the cost of producing this stuff. Share it. For, for God's sake, yep. um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really ridiculous to, to get caught up in, in licensing battles over that, if that is indeed what's happening. Well, and I actually wonder if it's going to take, you know, you know, persons with disabilities forming a class action lawsuit against the, the media companies. We're consumers. We're paying the same bills as everybody else is to watch this media that's not accessible. Yeah. You know, what's it going to take? And, I mean, I... I... I was speaking to somebody recently where um, I just said that as someone who's blind, it is, it's exhausting to wear my advocacy hat 24 seven. Sure. Like sometimes you just don't want to have to carry a picket sign around. You're like, can I just live my life? (laughs) Yes. I'm tired of trying to constantly, you know, educate people or, you know, I just wanted to go see a movie with my friends. I yep. didn't want to have to educate this whole movie theater and not get to see the movie because the equipment doesn't work or they don't whatever know else. That, they don't even know um, they have the equipment. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and I think that's a challenge for, for all of us. Any kind of disability is you, you do have to self-advocate and you do have to learn how to talk to, you know, various types of organizations and jobs and everything else. And sometimes it's just exhausting. It's like, I, you know what? I don't want to have this fight today. Like I'm not, yeah. everything's a lawsuit. And sometimes you just don't have the money and time to deal with it. But I think that ultimately anything that's gotten done um, over time in disability rights is because somebody sued. Yeah. Like that's how anything has gotten done significantly. And that sucks, but it's true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad, well, I'm glad the, I'm, I'm glad that it sounds like it's, it's a growing field and it's becoming a little bit more, um, talked about anyway y- yeah i mean because that's always the first step yeah so and yep. you know yeah and it's one of those things i think where you know you don't really think about audio description or whatever until you're faced with it yourself you know until there's a personal relationship to that whether it's you have a child with a disability you know you you meet somebody, you have a friend with a disability, and, and you think about, you know, what, are, what about audio description? What about closed captioning? What about transcriptions? You know, some, some people yeah. just don't even think about alternative access. And I think, too, that um, unfortunately, the way that audio description started, at least in the United States, was as a volunteer service. You know, yeah. some of the describers started, you know, out of the reading radio service right. people. Yeah. 
And so it was this volunteer situation, whereas you have interpreters and captioners get paid because they have a certification, they have classes, you know, has to, you have to have a standard. And um, so we're establishing that now. It just so happens that we are the beginning of the change in history. Right. You know, we're, we're actually doing that. But I think that, you know, it, it comes from a point of like, oh, well, if you're going to audio describe, is it cheap or like, is it free? Don't people just do that? And it's like, no, you need to pay somebody. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. See, and I'm, I'm just wondering, like, so for, you know, audio description, you know, you think, will we get to the point where, I don't know, somebody good enough? I mean, and we, we already see this. We, we There is such a thing as, you know, live audio description. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a... Uh, we have an organization here called Vocali that um, describes things like live theater and uh, like parades, different, they, they do the uh, the pride parade every year here in Vancouver. Um, yeah. And there's, and, you know, and so there's a real, and they have a whole training program as well on, on what it takes to sort of do this um, live audio description for live events. Um, and so there's a you know a real a real skill to it, but it's but it's possible. And I, I you know I would think that the same thing could could be said for um, doing doing live description for for different programming. Yeah, I think you have to mm-hmm. be careful though, because typically if you're watching a show that has an excellent audio description track, it's not jarring and it doesn't take you out of the show that you're watching, right? You know, if you've got a show um, and the audio description is, is pretty bad, maybe it's too loud, maybe the accent of the person doesn't match the, the dialogue of the show, it can kind of rem- remove you from that, right? So there's there's an art to it for sure. Well, and Yeah, it's, it's an art and a science at the same time, which is why it's very challenging. There's a lot of aspects to both live and pre-recorded description. Like, for instance, the Olympics were described, and that's live description. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Here in Canada, we've got a an organization. Or a, there's sorry, a couple different organizations. A, yeah, there's a, there's a company uh, called... Uh, Descriptive Video Works. That's right. And we've, we've talked to... We, we talked to the head of that and uh, years back. You know, it's interesting to hear sort of, you know, how an, an audio descriptive track is produced and the, and the work that goes into it, like somebody has to sit down and you have to write a script, you know, you have to, you, you, the, you have to do a, a sort of a run through. There's all these different aspects to it and there's differing qualities, obviously. And I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that you, you know, all too well, Colleen. Um, but let me ask you this though, like, is it realistic for say a network to be like, okay, we need, we need to produce an, an audio descriptive track in 24 hours. Is that doable? It's doable. It's done. Um, it is, it sucks. Uh, okay. It's basically, it's very difficult. And in that type of circumstance, you would want to contact somebody who has their own studio and maybe does all the aspects of description Um, One of my friends uh, who lives in Vancouver, um, Cameron, runs Serafina Sound Studios, and he actually will watch something, write the script as he's watching it, 
then record it, edit it in, and send it um, out of his home studio. And so, um, you know, you, you'd get somebody like that. Um, I know that the movie Arrival that came out a couple of years ago, right. the, um, the writers, so the people who wrote the film, were also the people who wrote the audio description script. So it, they were really familiar with the writing and, and the, you know, the screen directions, the stage directions and all that already. So, you know, the, the description and stuff for them ended up being quicker. And then they spent, you know, a day in the studio with a voice artist recording um, who didn't even know what she was recording for. She didn't understand what audio description. She didn't even know what it was. She was just sat there in the studio and read lines. Um, and the script is, is fairly good. Um, and now uh, I have trained that voice artist now at this point, but um, she got introduced to audio description because they asked her to come in and record for this feature film, this weird script that described everything. Wow. <laughs> it's like, okay. So a lot of stuff is done very quickly with audio description. But, you know, they're hard pressed to find people because, again, no one's certified. It's yeah. I mean, you got to try and find somebody who's basically like, uh, OK, this person seems to have done some good ones. So let's have them do it. And who, who's the first bidder who can give us this in 24 hours? Like it's, yeah, you know, so it's a it depends. Um, and with technology now, there's so many opportunities where some people have home studios, some people work for, you know, a company like, you know, Deluxe or, you know, a company where they're they're actually going into a studio to record. So it just depends. But I know that description is always done post-production um, and it it makes it challenging because you got to do stuff quick. <laughs> it's interesting. So the question becomes, you know, if if audio description it becomes a thing, say the thing that that's mandated, let's just say let's let's live in a perfect world for a moment and just pretend that audio audio description is just a thing that every piece of content needs to have, and that's that's a mandated thing. So who's responsible for that track? Is it say the the producers of say a show like? I keep going back to the bachelor. Let's just continue with that. So is it, is it the producers of, of the bachelor that's responsible for the, for the track or is it Fox who, who airs the, um, the content? It's, it's the, um, it's Fox. So it so would be the, it would be the production companies or the network's job to right. get that done. So, if it's a if it's a serial type show, because it seems to me that, and I don't, I have no idea how how this all works. I don't, I don't know how the net if the networks receive each episode, you know, a certain time before they air it, uh, or if they get like, do they just get the whole season and then they just distribute it uh, weekly? But however that is, it seems to me that it's totally realistic to 
expect that that they can produce these tracks, you know, in, in a given time. I mean, it's something that they they say only get like hours before air. I mean, that I can understand. Okay, that's going to be difficult to produce, um, you know, a, a track for. But but certainly something like a, a weekly uh, TV show, that sh- that should be no problem for them. Well, and who better than the writers of that show to possibly write the audio description script and then hand that to the voiceover artist? You know, if the, if the writers of the program are writing the program, they know where the gaps in the dialogue are going to be. They know where the audio description will fit in. Well, right. Well, again, I mean, that's definitely living in a perfect world. I mean, that would be, that would be awesome if, you know, if they took that into account when they were actually producing the show. But I mean, I, I think that's, that's Netflix going, is doing it, going a little bit too far. Well, no, I don't, I mean, Netflix is doing it, but they're also, they're doing a post, right? It's not, you know, they're the writers of the, of the movie mm-hmm. aren't, they're not thinking about how this is going to play, you know, when we produce an audio, the audio descriptive track. Well, let's get them on the show. <laughs> let's find out. <laughs> Hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, Really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. (laughs) Um, And uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it, visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. (laughs) 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 Woo! (laughs) Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canast Tech. Um, We do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines, uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. This is something that we've been talking about a long time on the show. Um, and and it is it is a passion for us. I know it's a passion for Ryan because R- Ryan is this consumer that is is starved for, for audio descriptive content. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think I think it's it's a really important thing because it's it, it's so when we don't have this content that that is is audio described, it's it's very exclusive. And, you know, especially given given we live in this culture that if you're not. You miss out on so much if you're not able to consume entertainment. You know, it drives so much of our mm-hmm. our cultural conversations these days. So I think that that's even more important to have audio descriptive tracks. You know, if you have somebody who can't actually talk about Game of Thrones because they, they don't have any way to, to really participate with it, that's important. You know, it, this is a, it's an important thing to talk about. Yeah. The, the biggest example that, that I tend to give people when they first talk to me about audio description is... You know, um, there's kind of two things that I say is that audio description, it's not just this thing for people with disabilities. Um, You know, audio description could be, as you mentioned before, um, for somebody who's taking a road trip or 
somebody who's cooking dinner and not able to watch TV the whole time, or, you know, it's good for students in the classroom. You know, it teaches them different observation skills, vocabulary, um, how to describe things. Um, But it's people who look at a menu, let's say, and they see, you know, you know, gyro wrap with lamb and they see a beef wrap and a turkey wrap and a vegetarian wrap and they go, well, I'm not a vegetarian. I guess I get the turkey one. And it's like, you don't have to be a vegetarian to get the wrap that has vegetables in it. Right. Um, It's just a wrap that happens to not have meat. Um, So again, it's audio description. It's not just something for people with disabilities. You don't have to think about it as this, oh, well, that's for disabled people. You're not going to do that. That's right. Um, And the other is that, you know, something that's extremely frustrating for those of us who can't see is, um, you, you know, how do you feel when you're on the outside of a joke? It's the worst. Right. You know, everybody around you is laughing and you have to turn to someone and say, what happened? What? Yeah. What happened? Because you are on the outside of the joke. You don't. A lot of comedy is physical. Um, And this is coming from someone who's a comedian. Like, I, (laughs) it's, you know, a lot of comedy is physical. And it is, um, you know, if you don't catch a joke, it's like the worst, you know. Or, you know, something pops out and scares everyone in the audience and you turn and you go, what happened? I mean, the whole thing is just you're completely on the outside of a cultural experience that um, is it ends up being a vicious circle because, you know, producers and, and Hollywood people are going, you know, well, blind people don't watch TV. They don't watch movies. Why would we do this? I know. And it's like we don't watch it because it's not accessible to us. If you made it accessible, then we would watch more of it and you would have a broader audience. But because it's not there, we don't have it. We don't go like it's just a vicious cycle. It's, yep. you know, and I something start- that we have to change. And I think that is changing. You know, all these companies are starting to realize that, you know, they're missing this whole consumer group, right, that has money to spend as well. And unless they start addressing those groups, they're not going to get that money. That's the thing that I would, I think really needs to change is that, this idea that um, you know people who are visually impaired can't participate in something because of accessibility. It's not that they don't want to consume it, it's that they can't, and you've built it in a way that they can't access it. And that's what needs to change. All the big movie companies, they do produce audio descriptive tracks. Am I, am I right about that? Almost everything is described now. Um, a lot of times... Um Marvel actually specifically contracts um, the, I think it's the deluxe company in England to do all of their stuff. That's why almost all the Marvel movies are um, audio described by British talent. Right, right. Um, uh, But there are companies that, you know, uh, sometimes at the end of the credits, it'll list the you know, yeah. who described it, or like the voice artist and the studio that they're from. Um, but that still means that, um, you know, the the film itself contacted an outside right. 
source, sure. Zillux or yeah. Caption Media or, yeah. you know, WGBH, or they're contacting somebody and saying, we need our film described, do the audio description. Yeah. Right. Um, so... So, you know, the, and so there's all these pieces in place. TV is, is really where the pain point is right now. I'm actually wondering if turnaround time is, is actually a, a real sticking point because, like, I don't know how many places there are in the U.S., like you say, Colleen, WGBH and so on. You know, here in Canada, we've got Descriptive Video Works. I think there's AudioWise. There's a couple different companies that do the audio description for TV and movies. Are they so busy that they can't do a 24-hour, 72-hour turnaround time? Is there that much content that they're being thrown at that they have to describe, that there's just not enough of them to go around? Yeah, we hear um, um, for uh, audio description training retreats, Jan and I will get emails from, we get emails from um, producers or from, from companies saying, uh, we hear that you train describers. Do you have describe? We need describers. We need writers. Um, and what they need the most of is writers. They're yeah. constantly looking for writers. So we're often at this point training our students and then getting them jobs because we're like, this studio wants writers go, you know, hmm. and um, it's, you know, because the, the, the studios are starting to go, they're handing us all this content. We only have a week. And so we need somebody to write. It, it, it might not take the voice artist super long to record everything for this, you know, one TV episode, mm-hmm. but we need a writer. We need to fit the timing in. We need to, it takes time, yeah. you know? So, and it's, and what sucks is it's not just translating. We're not just interpreting. We're not just writing down what is being said. Mm-hmm. You actually have to create the script. Yeah. Make sure it fits. Yeah. What words are vivid and succinct? How do you be pithy in between a gunshot sound effect and introducing three people who come into the room? Like, yeah. what do you, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And um, it's, it's something that they're looking for. And I think part of it is probably is probably just that is the the volume to time ratio is just almost impossible that's hope <laughs> where is the real the real problem um where what's the hold up why why don't we see audio description just being a thing cross platform cross medium like tv movies cable i think there's there's several factors that make it um, like several setbacks. Um, Just as you say, the government. Um, I think that, you know, the first person to come up with the idea of audio description was Chet Avery, and it was in the 60s, and he was blind, and he worked in the Department of Education, and he was like, hey, I'm blind, and, you know, TVs are starting to get into people's houses and stuff, and why don't we get uh, describes what's going on for blind people. And everyone was like, feels so funny. And that was how that went. And then, you know, it wasn't until the seventies when Gregory Frazier started, you know, really wrote a thesis of the first concept of TV for the blind. Cause one of his friends was blind and he sat there and described every TV show to him growing up and was like, well, this is dumb. This should be done for everybody. Hmm. So, 
you know, that started in San Francisco at the same time that in Washington, D.C., Margaret and Cody Fanchdiel started doing it for live theater. And so I think part of it is it got started all over the place. So you had, you know, in the 80s, really, you had San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Boston, and then it kind of went to North Carolina and then it kind of spread around, but nobody was talking to each other. There was no standards or regulations or it was just, I learned this skill one time and yeah, you can learn from me and then I'll, you know, we can do this. And you start to have these little organizations who as part of their services also provide audio description. So like you were talking about with, um, I think you said audio eyes. It's like if you want a production to have, I'm going to see this play in two weeks. Can can it be audio described, please? And they'll help you get it described or provide describers for that particular show. Right. Um, so it's, I think part of it is that it's so far spread around that there was no unifying big bill law thing that was like on its own audio description, bam. It was just one of these things in the ADA, one of these things thrown in in the 21st Century Communications Act. It was one of these things just thrown in that was like, you have to have captions and no flash videos, and you have to have transcripts of stuff, and you have to audio describe your video content. So it was like all of these things regulated for the internet and the television. And then it was like, well, nobody knows what this is. Um, I think visibility is the other. Um, I was a musical theater major who was going blind um, by the time I got to college and, you know, finished my degree and everything. I was a cane user. I was doing Braille. I was, you know, significantly visually impaired. Um, and I never heard of it ever. Hmm. I didn't hear about audio description until I was working in a museum. So, um, you have just the fact that the visibility is so low. Um, you know, I remember telling my counselor when I first heard about it, I was like, hey, because um, I was getting voc rehab, vocational rehab help to get a job. And I said, do you know about audio description? And the counselors at the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired, you know, like the blindness welcome wagon, mm -hmm. They'll tell you about talking books and the reading radio service and all this stuff. They don't know what audio description is. Yeah. They didn't even know what it was to, yeah. to tell me that it was something I could enjoy as someone who's losing their vision. That was not something that was ever told to me. And so um, I think the visibility is low. I think it's really far spread out. Um, uh, the government regulations. And frankly, the, the final thing I would say is it's called like 15 different things. Well, um, the other th you know, legally, the, the term we're going with is audio description right. because it's just what what got handed down and it's the most popular. But if you think about it, it sucks as a term because the first word is audio. So people immediately go, oh, ears. Yeah. So yeah. when you say I do audio description, they're like, oh, here's the stuff for the deaf people. Well, and you're like, nope. Yeah, and we've got um, descriptive audio. We've got descriptive video service. Like you say, there's so many different terminologies to describe, you know, the 
the second audio channel, the you know, second audio programming channel. Um, what was I going to say? I think the other big, big issue when it comes to audio description is that nobody who needs it knows what actually has been audio described. You know, I can go, right. I can go to the APH website, American Printing House, and they actually have a, a, a listing of, I think, some of the shows that have been have descriptive audio tracks on Amazon Prime Video. And that, you know, goes back to my, you know, when I looked it up on Prime Video Canada, you know, this didn't have it, this didn't have it, this didn't have it. None of us know what programs actually have been audio described and, and what service they're on. So even though the content right. is coming with audio description, we don't know where to find it. Exactly. The other thing is, even if we know where to find it, how the F are we going to turn it on? Well, that, that's the other thing, right? You know, yeah. you, you also have the fact that they're just now starting to come out with stuff like a talking cable box. Right. Or like that you can control your TV with Alexa or yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. But really, when I put in a DVD... You're telling me I have to click the right button for the menu. I have to somehow get to the languages menu. Yep. And then I have to somehow know in my brain that English video translation means audio description. Yeah. Four clicks to the right, five clicks down, hit enter, three clicks down, hit enter. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then you don't even know if you're right. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like yeah. it, um, it's, it's always in a different location on yeah. the website. Um, if you look on a physical DVD box, if people do that anymore when they go to the store, it's sometimes it's listed on the box in the teeny, teeny, tiny print on the back. Sometimes it's not. When it comes um, to sometimes you can buy a version of a DVD that has it, and the version and the DVD next to it won't have it. Yeah. Like it's. Well, even the It's just yeah. Even the streaming boxes, like the whole streaming service, I think is still a wild west. You know, I've got a couple Apple TVs in my house, A, because they're accessible and I can turn voiceover on and, and have full access. But a couple years ago, I bought a Roku streaming stick that everything I read says it has, I think, voice viewer, voice access, whatever it's called. So it'll read the menus to me. That's not available in Canada. And I bought a Roku stick that works. You know, it said, you know, Canada or whatever it said on Amazon. And there is no voice access. And when I asked Roku, they said, yeah, it's not available in Canada. So not all streaming streaming sticks or boxes are even accessible. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. And so I think that a lot of that is, you know, it, it, it's, it goes so far up the ladder and so far down the ladder. It's like users don't know about it. Yeah. yeah. Or they have so much trouble accessing it. Um, the people who produce the content just are trying to check off a box so it might not be good quality right. or it might not be available um you know in in canada or in the uk or it's only available in one area yeah. um you know for as far as lucrative you know, people won't be getting, they don't get paid extra for doing this and then you know all the way up to the top is is you know the government the laws regulating it is sure the FCC can shake their fist at a, you know, at a television network or a, or a film and say, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you, it, it's still classified as an art. Yeah. So we can't tell Hollywood how to make the art. 
but we can say you have to make this accessible. But the only way that gets done is the consumers throwing a fit. Yep. Suing or yep. something like that. That's the only way in the past 10 years audio description has moved forward. Is that people just have to sue. Well, and I used to and, get, um, I used to give the Americans yeah. a hard time for, you know, suing you know, everybody. But, you know, the more we're talking about this, give her go for it <laughs> sue everybody and anybody you know let's make let's make it change <laughs> but you know you know using using just the example and Ryan I, my heart's warm when you say that I love that you say that because I, I love it I'm the same way man like, sue yeah, absolutely is that it's true that's the only way that that companies really wake up and yep. pay attention when is when they're getting their sued or when they're getting publicly shamed about something yeah but although I will say the other big thing that they respond to is demand. Mm -hmm. uh, look at movie theaters. To to talk to go into a specific example, movie theaters have been struggling for a while now, um, and you would think if they had any brains in their head, uh, they would jump on this idea of of making accessibility a priority. Because that's a whole demographic that they could they could get into. There's there are there's money on the table for them if they if they actually made their accessibility experience um, a a pleasant thing to go through. Because we hear we hear a lot of stories here about people who go in to and these and these are established um, services that that they advertise. Um, you know, somebody who's, who's, who's blind or visually impaired goes in to use this equipment, the special equipment to go have, to listen to the audio, tr a descriptive track along with the movie in the theater. And from what I understand, all it is, it's like a pair of headphones that, that plugs into a box, a box. Yep. Um, but so often they'll go in to use this, uh, and it'll be broken. Or the the theater staff don't know what they're talking about, or don't know how to use it, or, and and so they just go, and it's a complete train wreck, and they go, um, well, yep. I'm never doing that again. I'm not paying like eighteen bucks to go to a movie that it doesn't even turn out to be accessible when it it was advertised to be accessible. We hear so many of those stories. If they if they went the other direction, it was just like they made sure that. There was plenty of seating that had access to these boxes and they advertised that and they made it a real pleasant experience and they, they marketed that. That's a whole demographic that would flock to theaters, I'm sure, and pay the 18 bucks to go see a first run movie with an audio descriptive track and have a real good time with that. That That's money on the table for them at a time when they're struggling to get people in the theater in the first place. Well, we've, we've, we've spoken to somebody, and I forget who it was now. We'll have it for the show notes. But he's developed an app, and he's working with some movie studios. So this app, they get the audio described track from the, the movie, whoever produced the movie, or the network, or whatever it is. So you can actually go to the theater. Your phone, your smartphone, this app runs on your smartphone, syncs up with the time coding in the movie, and now you're using your own device, your own headset. You don't actually have to use the theater equipment. And, you know, the downside of that is, you know, it, it costs money to get the licensing for the audio descriptive track, I guess. But, you know, it's a step in the right direction. You know, we don't have to rely on the movie theaters. 
um, and their equipment. We have our own devices. The other thing the movie theaters could do, instead of a box, just have the movie play with the audio descriptive track playing, and anybody who needs it, just plug in. Plug into a head, headphone jack on the armrest or something, and you automatically have access to that track. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and also um, one thing that I, that I had to explain to several local movie theaters is that if the movie theater doesn't download the correct version of the film that has all of the accessibility um, settings, mm-hmm. they won't have the audio description track right. to play mm-hmm. for you. Right. So, um, you know, the file they have to also download and purchase the right file. Right. You know, nobody's up there rolling reel to reel anymore. Yeah. There's not, you know, it's um, digital. And so if they have downloaded the wrong digital copy, it won't have right. the audio description. Um, also, it'd be nice to know which seats the audio description works well in because yeah. a lot of the headphones are infrared operated. And so sometimes I'll be sitting listening to the audio description in the theater. And in order for me to actually hear the audio description, I have to hold the oh, receiver yeah. box slightly above my left shoulder. Wow. Just because it's infrared and there's something in the way. Oh, um, well, I'm glad we're not using that technology so here. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, um, there's a lot of just very bizarre yeah. factors. And I think that, you know, Again, it, I understand the staff at a movie theater might rotate quite yep. um, quite frequently. They should, uh, so just, you know, they should really, if they offer something, if there's a sign and you offer it, like, you need to know what I'm talking about. So yeah. then just let us bring um, our own devices, let a time code sync, an app sync up with the movie on the screen, and everybody will be happy. You got it if you need it. Mm-hmm. No more proprietary boxes. This movie theater uses this type of box. Yours uses a different type of box. Well, and you know, and the big fallout of, of all of this is that you know when a when a visually impaired consumer has a bad experience, they just they just never go back. They just they're like, I'm not going back to this particular theater, or I'm just not I'm not going to bother going to first run movies because. Yeah you know really it's it's a train wreck so they don't go and then as a result you know the theaters go well look no one's no, no one's, one's using this stuff so there's really no demand so it's clearly the blind and visually impaired people don't actually want to go to the movies so why are we going to spend any money developing it so i mean there has to be this this call for you know accessibility um, so there has to be this demand and the only way to do that is, I guess, is just to, to, to make your voice heard and, and say, look, this is something that we want as a community. We, we demand this. Well, and I wonder, are there actually agencies like here in Canada, is the CNAB actually going to, you know, the famous players of the no. Silver Cities and saying, look, you guys, you know, if you want to be accessible, well, you think about it, they are offering many, many autism friendly screenings of movies now. Autism is like the disability to have right now if you want to go see a movie. Malls are having autism-friendly events going on. So obviously the Autism Society or somebody is reaching out and communicating to these other other groups. That needs to happen in the other disability arenas. It kind of comes back to our idea of audio description does not have to just be for someone who's blind, it can be very good for people who are autistic, who have ADHD, like it helps you focus on the film or what's going on in the show. 
And, you know, I've tried to explain to a movie theater before, like, this is a wheelchair ramp so that people who are using mobility devices that have wheels can get into your theater. You are not giving me a wheelchair ramp yeah. in order to access this movie. You're not letting me in because you're not, this equipment doesn't work. And I've come to this theater eight times and all I have to show for it is eight free passes <laughs> from the time that the equipment did not work. Uh, I'm not going to come back here with yeah. my free pass to continually have my free experience of yeah. not experiencing anything. Exactly. So. When it works, it works great. But, you know, I think if we can take the next step forward and, and our theater using a different technology than your theater, Colleen, you know, and having to rely on the theater's equipment to be working, let us just bring our own devices, have it time code sync up with the movie theater, and away you go. It makes more sense to leverage mainstream technology than proprietary devices. Yep. And maybe that's what I agree. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, I know um, there's a gentleman on the committee with me who is developing um, an app not only for film, but also for live audio description as well. Like if you um, realize that a, a play or a musical or something has an audio describer that evening, mm -hmm. you can... Um, log into the app on your phone and you can pick up different radio frequencies until you pick up until you hear the describer nice. for the show. Wow. So there's a few different things going on and technology moves so quickly, mm -hmm. but the problem is that's all over the place too. Yeah. Yes. So you have people who are still trying to do the old school stuff and then you have people creating apps, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> hmm. Well, here, well we, here we are at the end of the conversation. We haven't solved a damn thing, you guys. We just need more, more audio description. That's it. That's the solution. More. We need more. more. Somebody figure it out. <laughs> it's above my pay grade. And, and also. <laughs> it's above all our pay um, grades. None of us are getting paid for this. I love how, um, I, I love Obviously, I edit audio description and I help train audio describers. So people ask me all the time, Colleen, will you describe this? Like, we need describers. Like, why won't you just describe this? And I'm like, I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I understand I am in the field. I cannot describe. And you're like, why? And I'm like, because I can't see it. Because <laughs> I think that balloon's yellow, blue, red, green, white, orange, purple, black. <laughs> You know, I, I have like, no I, idea. It's funny. Well, but the good news, guys, is that, you know, we're getting there more and more. You know, th these are conversations that are happening. Yep. Um, and the technology is there. Um, we just I think we just, you know, the content producers need to just be aware that there's a demand for this. And um, it's in their best interest to produce it. Because the more people that have you know access to their content, eh, it's gonna that's gonna benefit them. So we got a ways a ways to go before we we live in utopia, unfortunately. But and it didn't happen in this forty five minutes. 
Well, at least, you know, in the last year, maybe two years, you know, if you're still watching physical media like Blu-ray, at least we have services like Ira or Be My Eyes, right? That we could actually put the disc in, dial up an agent, and they might be able to tell you what's on your TV screen and help you navigate the menus of your Blu-ray player and actually get to where you need to go. But, right? But isn't that stupid too? Like Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Honestly, like what, none of... The- None of the menus on this physical media are accessible. Absolutely. Like why? What the technology is there to make yep. a accessible Blu-ray player, mm-hmm. or to make these menus accessible? But just there, there's they no do nobody's holding the feet their feet to the well, fire. I hear you. Yep. So let yeah, let's bury an accessibility feature in an inaccessible <laughs> menu. Like makes no f-ing sense. I know. I know. No, we are getting there. Like you mentioned earlier, we have some some hardware cable boxes that will actually have text-to-speech so you can navigate your menus. Sony has a line of TVs that actually have text-to-speech. You can go and turn it on. It'll read your menus out. Um, Some people are doing it, and the problem is is that we don't know who's doing what. And if, if we as consumers aren't gravitating and purchasing those products and letting the manufacturers know how much we appreciate that, we're back to the argument well, blind people don't watch TV and they stop producing it. Right. So, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a small market, but again, it's a, it's a market that has dollars to spend. And I think that, um, that mentality of the manufacturers is slowly changing, but we need to make our voices heard. I mean, honestly, like is it, it, it is not outside the realm of, of our technological capabilities to make a completely accessible smart tv no right like that has heck they could have could they not could they not have a screener built in to write into the tv some computers, Wait, they're smart tvs right some like, computers are running android so they can do whatever they want now right so you could because a lot of those smart tvs that's probably what they're running right yep. they're running like a android or some sort of operating system yep you could build a screen reader into it so that all the menus are accessible. Mm-hmm. You could build right into it. On the remote, you could have audio description track, mm-hmm. audio track, right? Like mm-hmm. you could just press that button and sure. it automatically goes to... They would turn it on? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's that's possible. You could build that TV. Problem is, you built that TV, then you'd have to market it as, oh, okay, well, it's an accessible TV. <laughs> And you then, because nobody then it, would know. And then it would be a niche market, though. <laughs> then it'd be like, oh, okay, well, only blind and visually impaired people are going to buy this TV. We're cut out of the mainstream. What you need yeah. is you need a mainstream manufacturer like Sony to just be like, hey, here's our newest 4K TV. Oh, incidentally, it includes these. Features. It's also completely accessible, yeah. so it's good for anybody you want. Right. Um, that's what you need to happen. Like we need to piggyback. Unfortunately, we it, we need to piggyback off mainstream technology. Yep. All these, all the excess, the frustrating part of it. Now I'm getting angry. Now because the frustrating <laughs> Get part of my lawn. all the accessibility <laughs> aspects and everything that's gained traction has gained traction because it's built in as a as a also as a mainstream device. That's just the nature of yep. things. That's how you get some traction. Is that oh yeah, it's a it's an awesome mainstream device, but it's also you know in a really powerful piece of AT. As mm-hmm. well, that's why digital assistance. You know, that's a perfect example of. Yep. It, you know, it's a fantastic piece of AT, but it's also you know, you, people can use it in 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 everyday situation as well. Yep. So that that's kind of what we need to to have happen, I think. 
Preach it. Yeah. And it's, again, that's why I always try and introduce it as audio description is a great um, option. Basically, it it explains kind of visual poetry for um, something that you're looking at, whether it's art or live theater, live performance. Um, you can basically audio describe anything. Mm-hmm. And it is a voice artist or a script that is describing visually what's going on during key sound effects and dialogue. Um, so it can allow people who have, you know, if you're sitting in your car and you want to catch up on the show and binge the rest of your show, you know, it'll visually, you won't miss anything. It'll be describing it to you. Um, which also means that, you know, blind people can enjoy all of culture. You know, have you ever been on a audio tour of a museum? You know, it's, it's like that, you know, and you have to present it to these, able-bodied people so they don't get scared because <laughs> <laughs> they're afraid we don't want to use the disabled thing yeah. i don't want the vegetarian rap i'm not a vegetarian <laughs> oh, we i can't live... use that wheelchair ramp i'm not in a wheelchair yeah, oh what if you're right. a mom with a stroller what if you're someone who has a rolling suitcase? Yeah, how many what times? if you're someone who's carrying a large cart? How many times what if are, you don't feel like doing the stairs? <laughs> how many times a day do you use the curb cut in the sidewalk as you're crossing the street? And don't even think about it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I use wheelchair ramps all the time because I'm just effing lazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I don't want to go. That's what they're there for. Well, I don't want to do stairs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. Well, listen, Colleen, I, I see by the clock on the wall, we need to, we need to let you go soon. So thanks for, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for bailing us, us about, out. Yeah, thanks for, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, where can people find you on the old internet? Ah, uh, yes. The old internet. Um, I can be found at blindinspirationcast.com. Um, which is all one word, blind inspiration, C-A-S-T, like podcast. Um, And also, if you are interested in learning more about audio description or about what I do, um, you can also go to adtrainingretreats.com, and that AD stands for audio description. So adtrainingretreats.com. I'm on Twitters. I'm on the Facebooks. I'm on the interwebs and I'm also on YouTube where I'm still working on my series about myself and my guide dog, Jocelyn. Oh, are you really? Oh, so, I haven't seen those. I will have to check those. There's out. some fun, uh, blind inspiration cast YouTube channel, uh, things as well. So if you're on YouTube and you search blind inspiration cast, you can find all my YouTube content also. Well, there you go. Um, I've not been able to post in a while. Uh, life, for some reason, keeps happening. So um, hopefully more content soon. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. Uh, they can also drop us an email if they so desire. Cowbell. Bing, bing. At atbanter.com. <laughs> Where's the cowbell? Oh, it's on the other it's side of the room. It's on the other side of the room. That's I right. couldn't get to it. I wasn't going to dive for yeah, it. Yeah, I know. That's a workout. Uh, they can also... Well, wait. Where else can they find us, Ryan? Uh, AT Banter on Facebook. Twitter, we are AT underscore Banter. 
Very good. You're, you're, you're knocking you. it out of the park. Uh, and Instagram as well. We're at yes. uh, ET Banter. No, wait. No, we're not at Instagram. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, oh, yeah we, we are. are. You put us on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing on Instagram. Oh, I'm also on Instagram as well. Are you? Blind Inspiration Cast. How's that However, working for you? Uh, it's... It's a, it's a challenge, and I'm still working on it. I know. But they did recently come out with an article on how to add alt tags to your pictures and videos on Instagram and Twitter. So do it. Get on yeah. it, Rob. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on that. Yeah, Twitter has that capability, but it's not it's not on by default. It's no. insane. Yeah, way to go, Twitter. Yeah. Like, great, build in some accessibility features that nobody knows how to turn on, you idiots. <laughs> Okay, anyway, see, now I'm mad again. You guys keep making me mad. <laughs> um, uh, where, where are we? Uh, we're in the guitar that's dungeon. It. That's it. That's where people can find all of us. Uh, Colleen, absolute delight talking to you again. Let's do this again. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks, for everybody, for listening in, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.